folks that financially or materially are in need of some things, I pray that you would provide that. And, Lord, it's just, uh, it just seems like almost a, a weekly thing now for uh, people to have burdens in an area of just needing their needs met. And uh, our world is certainly in a mess, and we pray that you would uh, help them to have wisdom and uh, the resources that you have given to them and to be good stewards of it. And then, Lord, that you would supply that which is needed. And then, Lord, help us tonight as we come to your word. There's uh, so much in this book that we need to have understanding in. And I pray that you'll guide our steps, give understanding and uh, light to the truth of your word, that it will uh, not only be un- understood and known in our minds, but that it'll be something our hearts will grab a hold of and take heed to, that we'll apply it to our lives and be able to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and turn to First Peter. First <coughs> Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. And uh, we're going to continue our study on the will of God. I've got uh, two more subjects of that tonight. We'll probably only get through one of them. Um, so we'll go at least one more Wednesday night, maybe two more Wednesday nights. Um, unless I get really long-winded, then we'll go three or four more Wednesday nights. Uh, but we'll try to try to keep it uh, applicable and move through the material. I, I was um, I was in a... I, I probably shared this recently I, with... Uh, Getting older and my brain can't remember sometimes what I've shared with the church or what I've shared with others individually. But I uh, was preaching a number of years ago when I first became a pastor and uh, had a lot of notes to get through like I do tonight. And uh, we got, it was about five minutes till eight or maybe eight o'clock even uh, on a Wednesday night. And uh, I, uh, I rushed through, I, I had over half my notes still left. And I just rushed through and I gave them, I said, don't have time to preach it, let me just give you the notes. And I gave it to them. And a friend of mine was sitting in the service, and he came up to me. He's a missionary, and he came up to me after the service, and he said, boy, I enjoyed the message. It was a good message. And he said, can I offer you a word of advice? And I said, sure. He said, you're a pastor. You're going to be here next week. He said, these people need to be taught that truth. He said, don't rush through it. And so I tried to balance between being long-winded and drawing it out and going on rabbit trails and giving it to you too fast that you can't take it all. Uh, I try to try to have that good balance where it's something that we can get a hold of and sink our teeth into and uh, yet do it justice and, and not draw it out too long. So we're going to attempt to do that tonight. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. And uh, let's start in um, verse number 11. We're going to read down several verses here. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the King as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the or as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well for so is the will of God uh, that with well doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as uh, 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 as the servants of God 
Uh, we're going to look at verse number 15 for a minute. And uh, he says this, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of the foolish. So the will of God is for us to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And then he tells us how to do that. We're to do that by well-doing. But it's interesting because he takes verses before this verse and he takes verses after this verse to explain and to describe what the well-doing is. And so understanding that verse number 15, if you're to diagram this out um, and say, okay, the will of God is, and then you find out what it is that he's saying is the will of God, well, the ultimate will of God is that we put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, and we do that by our well-doing. We're going to see in verse number 12 that the way that we do that is by our good deeds, by the things that we do well. And uh, let's go through, and we're going to begin in verse number uh, 11, and we're going to go through the things that are before and the things that are after this verse that tell us what it is to be um, well-doing that we find in verse number 15. Because it's by well-doing that we accomplish this will of God. It's by well-doing that we're able to put to silence the ignorance of uh, foolish men. So let's look in verse 11. And we're going to look at a number of these. First of all, he says <coughs> that we are to abstain from fleshly lusts. And one of the things that we have to be careful of in reading Scripture is we oftentimes will have a preconceived notion or a preconceived idea as to a definition or the use of a word. And you need to understand this, that when it deals with the word lust, while it can include things of a sensual or sexual nature... It doesn't always refer to just that or only that. Uh, in this case, it refers to it as fleshly lusts, or you could say it this way, appetites for anything that are of a carnal nature. Um, it may or may not be of a, uh, a, a sexually immoral issue. It could be things uh, that are an appetite to you with regards to um, things that you put in your body. It could be uh, things that... Uh, are regarding the acquaintances and the, the friends that you keep. Um, it could be in regards to uh, your speech and the language that you have. And do you have appetites for things that are of a carnal nature in this way? <coughs> and so one of the ways that we do well, or what he says here in verse number 15 is well-doing, is that we abstain from these fleshly lusts. And again, that would be any carnal appetite. And it certainly does include the sensual and the sexual sins of lust that we often associate that particular word to. But it also encompasses so much more than that. And my fear is sometimes when we read something like that in Scripture, we limit it to just the immoral sin. And we may say, well, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have that problem in my life. But we may have other fleshly lusts that we follow after. And we don't ever think about them. We don't ever deal with them because we don't think that that's what the Bible is referring to here. So it's very important that we understand that it is dealing with so much more than just what we normally will associate the word lust with uh, in, in day-to-day conversation. And I want you to notice the comment that he makes about it in verse number 11. That he says that we have saved from fleshly lusts, notice this, which war <coughs> against the what? The soul. Now, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. When God made us, or when God created man, He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. And the Bible says man became a living soul. And uh, the soul is 
that part of us oftentimes that the Holy Spirit is, uh, is dealing with and residing in. And understand and know this, that when we get saved, and again, he's dealing here, he calls them pilgrims and strangers, not because um, he doesn't know who they are, but because they're scattered because of the persecution. And he doesn't write to a particular church in this instance, but he's writing to all of those that had trusted Christ as their Savior already. So he's writing here to Christians that are scattered because of the persecution. And he makes this comment that the lust of the flesh, or this, this fleshly lust that he refers to, is in a constant battle with the soul that is supposed to be walking in the Spirit. And the one that we yield ourselves to the most, the appetite that we give into and feed the most, is the one that will be the strongest in our lives. And it will always affect the outside of the vessel. It may be something that we can often put off for a long period of time and pretend that we're something that we're not. But sooner or later, the truth comes out and the heart bears fruit. And we find that this, this war that goes on, he warns them against this, that these fleshly lusts need to be abstained from. They need to be, they need to be no part of us. Uh, in other portions of Scripture, a phrase is used that they should not even once be named as that which becometh a saint. It shouldn't even be associated with us. And uh, because it's at war with the soul, that part of us that's trying to grab that soul that the Holy Spirit should have control over and should be uh, dealing with. And so he helps us in this area. And then he tells us a little bit of how we're to do this. In verse number 12, he says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now, uh, there are times that the Bible uses the word conversation and it means what we think it means today, which is speech that we're having back and forth. To talk to somebody, you have a conversation with somebody. But oftentimes in Scripture, it's dealing not with the speech that we have, but our lifestyle, the way that we live. And you say, well, Pastor, how do you know which one it's dealing with? By the context. All right? Oftentimes, when there's two ways that that word can be used, you have to look at the context. And so, again, let's take a look at this verse. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas... They speak against you as evil what? Doers. Not evil speakers, but evil doers. Dealing with your actions. They may by your what? Good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, do you think they're dealing here with your works in your life? Or are, you, are they dealing here, is he dealing here with your speech? Within the context of the verse, we say that this conversation is not regarding our speech, but regarding our Works Now, by the way, it will involve our speech, obviously, because our lifestyle, wanting to be glorifying to God, will certainly have an effect on our speech. But it deals, again, with so much more than just our conversation of, a, of the lips or the tongue, but deals with our conversation of our good works. So let's see what he has to say about this. He makes a statement here in verse 12 that this, this, this life that we live, we're to abstain from the fleshly lusts, the war against the soul. So the life that we do live, if we're abstaining from those fleshly lusts, and we already know that we're to be walking in the Spirit, then the life that we live ought to be a testimony of God's work in our lives. When people look at us, especially people that knew us before we were saved, there ought be a distinct difference between the way we used to be and the way we are now. There ought to be something about that person. Uh, I was, my son and daughters and I were walking a number of years ago, this is probably 8, 10, 12 years ago, 
through a mall in a, in a town that had a large Christian college, a good Christian college, solid Christian college. We're walking through this mall, and everywhere we look, there's people, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people going through there. And all of a sudden, there was a group of four young ladies walking towards us. And immediately, my daughter said, I bet they go to that college. Now, we had not talked to them. We had not observed them interacting with anyone. But immediately, there was a difference. Simply by the way they dressed. And the way they carried themselves. And I'll be real frank with you. There was even a sparkle and a glow to their faces and a smile in their countenance. And you could just tell. A number of times I've come to people and, and after talking with them for a little while, uh, the, the topic of the Lord would come up or Scripture would come up as often it should in our conversations. And when it does, the person say, I knew there was something about you. Or I might even say, well, I could tell there was just something different about you. I knew when I began talking to you, there was something different there. Why? Because the Bible says that the Spirit of the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us will bear witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. There's something different there. And it's not just an outward look, but it is a testimony of our lives. Our conduct, our speech, the way we carry ourselves, the way we behave. And so he talks about this in verse number 10. Now notice what he says about it. If we're going to do the will of God and we're going to put to silence the foolishness of these, these folks that don't believe in God, the ignorance of foolish men, if we're going to do that, then he tells us we need to have our conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now, he uses the term Gentiles here generically to mean the unsaved in this case. Again, he's dealing here within the context of this passage of believers making a difference in the lives of those who have not trusted Christ yet. We're going to see that in another verse or two. Sometimes Gentiles just mean simply they're not Jews. In this case, and oftentimes in the Scripture, if the context demands it, it's referring to those that are lost. Gentiles in the flesh. And this is the case here. So he says that we're to have our conversation honest among the Gentiles. Do you know how much harm it causes to the, it causes to the cause of Christ when we are not Christ-like before the unsaved. I've got, I've got friends of mine, dear friends of mine, that will not set foot inside of a church. They do not trust Christ as their Savior, have not trusted Christ as their Savior. And the reason they don't is because they said, there's too many hypocrites in the church. You know what they mean by that? They mean by that that somewhere in their life, they either heard about or saw, and in, both, in most cases both, Christians that acted like the world and then turned around and said, I believe in the Lord. I love God. Folks, our testimony is very, very important. So much so that we understand that to live abstaining from the fleshly lusts and have our conversation honest before the Gentiles is the will of God for our lives. This isn't just a preacher getting up in a conservative Baptist church and saying, you need to have this standard in your life. This is God saying, this is my will. This is what I long for you to do. To have your conversation honest among the Gentiles. And notice what else he says here. That whereas they what? They, speaking of the Gentiles, whereas they what? Whereas they speak against you as evildoers. That is the foolishness of ignorance of foolish men. 
They're speaking about you <coughs> ignorantly. They don't know. They don't understand. And they're accusing you of things. Then it says this, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works glorify God. Notice this, in the day of visitation. Now that's an interesting phrase. That is an interesting phrase. It's only used a handful of times throughout the Scriptures. And oftentimes, in most other cases that I've found in Scripture, it's dealing with a time of God's reckoning or God's judging. Now, we understand and we know this, that there is coming a day where the Bible says every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It could be referring easily to the fact that there's going to come a day that they will have to give glory to God whether they want to or not. And it will be those good works that they recall and see that God had done such a good work in your life that may help them to give that glory to the Lord. I like to think of it more this way, and I've read some commentators on this phrase, and I would say that this is probably more the case within the context of it. He's dealing here with unsaved people and the testimony that we are before them. And for them to be able to glorify God in the day of visitation, I believe, refers to the time that God comes to them in conviction and gives them an opportunity to trust Him as their Savior. And that when that day comes, they will say, Thank God for a godly Christian who lived right before me. Folks, we're going to stand and give an account one day. I'm thankful not for my sin anymore. But I am going to give an account for the way I have served the Lord or the lack of serving the Lord in my life since I've been saved. It's something that ought to cause most all of us to take very soberly, very seriously. The Bible tells us that we're going to have to give an account of every idle word. I believe that that is dealing not just with the idleness of our speech so much as it's dealing with speech and conversation of our lifestyle that is harmful before the lost. Peter says, this is the will of God, that you abstain from fleshly lusts and that you live your conversation, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Why? Because there may come a day when God pricks their heart and they'll be able to glorify Him and say, I'm thankful that somebody, somebody lived Christ in front of them. Notice what else he says here in verse number 13. How else do we do these well-doing deeds that we're supposed to do? He tells us in verse number 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Why? Because it is a part of the testimony that we have before the lost. When we bend the laws and the ordinances, we take some of them not that seriously. Even if everybody else in our society is doing the exact same thing and is considered to be the norm, it gives cause for an unsafe person to look at us and say, and they claim to be a Christian. Folks, it can take the smallest 
deviation for a lost person to throw that out and say, God must not be very big in your life. You can't even obey the laws that God gives us by, by, by the society that is given here. Now, I understand, and you understand this, that if we ever get to a place where our society demands and makes a law that is sinful and contradicts Scripture, you and I must make a choice at that point. But God deals with that later on and says that we should rather suffer for evil than to suffer for, for or rather suffer for good than that which is evil. We should rather suffer for well doing, and He says that a few verses later, than suffering for our faults. But unless it is contrary to Scripture, every time we break an ordinance of man, our testimony takes a chink out of it. People watch us more than you think. Some of them may be people you and I have talked to about the Lord. And they haven't trusted Him yet, but they're, they're mulling it over. They're watching us. They're thinking about it. And then we can't obey the ordinances of man. Now again, I think we all are mature enough here as Christians to understand we're not talking about sinful things. We're not talking about just because our government says abortion should be legal that we ought to go out here and have abortions. We understand that there's a moral law of God that we don't cross. But I'm talking about things as, as simple as, as go 20 miles an hour on this road. Or something as simple as, uh, you know, make sure you have a driver's license. Make sure you have insurance on your car. These things are not contrary to Bible. And every time we go against those things, whether we agree with them or not, we cause a chink in our testimony. He tells us to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Do it as if it was God asking you to do it. You know why? Because it's God that's asking you to do it. It's not Brother Greg. It's not just me getting up on a soapbox and making an argument and trying to get you convinced of my position on it. This is something that Peter says, this is the will of God. That by your well-doing, you may silence the ignorance that of foolish men. And this is how we this is how we do well. We submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. So whether it's the king or whether it's those that are given authority from the king to do these things. Notice it says this, or unto the governors as unto them that are sent by Him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. If you do well, you don't have to worry about the government. You don't have to worry about the law enforcement. You don't have to worry about the ordinances. If you do well, the only time you get punished is when you break them. That's when you see the blue lights in the back in your rearview mirror as you go down the road and realize they're for you. So important. It says in verse 15, For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And then he goes on to say this, As free and not using your liberty 
for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. We have some liberty in Christ. There's no doubt about it. We're not under the law of the Old Testament. But we don't use the liberty as a way to cause harm to those around me. Paul said it this way to the Corinthian church. He said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. There are some things that, even though I have liberty to do them, if it's going to cause my brother to offend, if it's going to create a stumbling block for someone, then even though I have liberty, I'll, I'll refrain from it. And that's what Peter is speaking of here. We're to, we're to use the freedom, the liberty that God has given to us, but we're not to use it for a cloak of maliciousness or to cause some folks to stumble. And then he says this in verse number 17, Honor all men. We should have respect to them. Love the brotherhood. We should love them. One another. Fear God. Honor the King. Four different things that are given here just in rapid succession. They're, they're pretty self-explanatory. Does anybody here not know what honor all men means? In the Greek, here's what it means. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Anybody not know what that one means? Okay, we pretty well got a grasp on it. Fear God. And anybody here not know what that means? means fear God. And then he says, honor the king. Verse 18 is where I want to end tonight. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. And so again, and you have to remember in Bible times, they had, they had uh, uh, indentured servants, those that owed... Um, uh, there were some that had uh, owed debts and they were working them off. They were oftentimes referred to as slaves or bond slaves later on. Or you had servants that would be paid uh, uh, to work and labor in the household. And this is dealing with a more of a work uh, basis where you have an employee-employer type relationship here. So it's not dealing with the ones who owe the money and the, or the, the, uh, those that are uh, slaves to uh, the debt. But these are those that have an opportunity to either yield themselves to their masters or not yield themselves to the masters. <coughs> this is an interesting verse. Because I've had some people ask me this over the years. Pastor, I'm at work and my boss is just terrible to work with. What do I do? I mean, you don't understand, Pastor. This, this boss is he's horrible. He's, he's accusing me of things. He's mean to me. He's trying to get me to leave and to quit. What do I do? Notice what it says. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, those that aren't good, those that are bad masters. Now, notice, he gives a little more information as we get to verse 19. He says, For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, he said, that's something people can look at and give thanks for. That if you're doing right, you're giving a good day's work, you're laboring for your master, and you endure the grief that they put on you, and you suffer, even if it's wrong suffering. That's what he's saying here. He says, this is thankworthy. Now, notice what he says in verse 20. 
For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, <coughs> you take it patiently? In other words, boy, I messed up. My boss had every right to chew me out. <coughs> There's no glory in that. <coughs> Nobody looks at you when you mess up at work and your boss chews you out and says, boy, that's a person that has the grace of God on their life. We just messed up. There's no glory in that. But look what else he says. But if, when you do well and suffer for it, in other words, you got this froward boss, this froward master, <coughs> you're doing well, and he still is froward towards you. That's what he's dealing with here in verse 20. Right, verse 21. Or verse 20. He says, For what glory is it, if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is what? Acceptable to God. With God. It's acceptable with God. If you're doing right and your boss is just coming at you and coming at you and coming at you, and you take it patiently, and you say, yes, sir, and you continue to do right, that brings glory to God. It causes the unsaved world to sit up and take notice and in the day of visitation, they'll be able to glorify God because of it. And Peter says, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. God's desire is for the ignorance of foolish men to be silenced. He said, if you'll do well, it'll happen. And that's what my will is. That you do that. <coughs> it is 8 o'clock and I'm starting to cough. So you'll have to come back next week. Next week we're going to deal with the subject of sanctification. Sanctification. And I'm excited about that one. It's going to be a great lesson. They're all good lessons, aren't they? God's Word is so amazing, isn't it? It's always good. Uh, it helps us and instructs us. It charges our hearts and our batteries I don't like this part of it, but there's times where it shows me I'm not as right as I should be. It shows me where I'm wrong. And I don't like it that those times. Nobody likes to be told they're wrong. But, boy, I'm sure thankful for it, aren't you? Because I don't want to stay wrong. I want to, I want to learn from what it says and try to do right and try to be right. So I'm thankful for His Word. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Lord, we are thankful tonight for Your Word. How good it is. How it instructs us. How it guides us each step of the way. Lord, may we learn to study it. 